Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Hey, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> How are you guys? Man, thank you so much for sharing that, Tyra. I know it's not easy sometimes when, uh, when you feel like you have something to share to get up in front of everybody and do that. Um, but I just thank you for that. It's, it's, I think as a church, we have to understand that there's a, there's a good chance that God's speaking to us things that he wants to speak to other people. And to just always be willing to be able to, when God's pouring something out into you or when God's showing you something or, or, or giving you a picture of something, to not just keep it for ourselves, but to share that with other people because you have no idea the encouragement that you can be to other people. I mean, it encourages them when, when they have something to share, but also just the words that you're speaking and what God's dealing with you in your heart, it, it can encourage and help so many people. Um, and so thank you for being obedient and doing that, and thank you for, for stepping out and doing that. Um, and it, it is the truth, right? There's times in our lives where we feel like we're unnoticed, we feel like we're obscure, we feel like maybe we're the little bush in the back that all the other bushes are kind of overshadowing and but that every single person was placed on this earth by God for a reason. There's no accidents. Your parents might have thought you were a mistake, but God doesn't. And you were placed here for a reason. Where you are for a reason. The time you were born. It's all on purpose. It's all according to His plan. And He has things inside of you that He so desperately wants to get out of you and into the world. He's placed so much in you. Your life is not just to be a vacuum that continually sucks things in, but there should be a side of you that everything that's coming in as it's coming in is also going back out to people. Everything that God gives you and shows you is not only just for you, but it's for other people too. Jesus said, it's better for, the, for you that I go. Because if I go, I can send the Holy Spirit, like Mark was talking about. And the truth of the matter is, it was better for the disciples to have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of them every single day, each day, each one of them. But it was also better for everybody in the world. Because Jesus came because God so loved the world. So the things that He did that Jesus said were better for the disciples were also better for the world. Because while He was speaking just to them, everything that He did was for the good of humanity, of mankind. And the reason that's so good is because the reason that, that it's so much better for the world as well as you to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you is because now you have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living and dwelling inside of you. And when you walk into the room, the power that raised Jesus from the dead walked into the room with you. Do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? This is what Corinthians tells us. And if that's true, and you are a dwelling place for God's very Spirit. Think about that. This is not say a prayer, go to heaven stuff. It was never meant to be that. We've cheapened the gospel down to something we say so that one day when we die, we get out of, jail, out of hell free or something like that. But the truth of the matter is it was never meant to be that. It's about a transformed life. It's about the very living presence of God dwelling inside of you. It's about His nature manifesting inside of you so that when people come into contact with you, you can say, like Paul, if you, I mean, like Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And as we walk through this world and we live like that, we can look confidently at people and say, follow me as I follow Christ. I know that sounds so lofty, but we've got to understand, Paul has got to come down out of stained glass. Jesus never built a stained glass window and put Paul in it. Man did that. He was a man used by God. The very same way that God wants to use each and every one of you in this room and each and every one of us. He's a man yielded to the Holy Spirit, entrusted with God, with a message for the world of redemption and grace and love. 
And now here you are, a man or a woman, rescued by God, filled with His very Spirit, and given a message of redemption, of grace, and of love, and called ambassadors for the kingdom of God to this world. And we plead with them as if God Himself were pleading. Why? Because God Himself is pleading. Because it's the very Spirit of God inside of you that's pleading with the world to be reconciled to God. It's in your Bible. It's in mine. It's not... If it's not like so good that it can't be true outside of faith, it's not the gospel. If it was something we could wrap our human minds around, we wouldn't need faith to believe it. If it was logical, if it was simple, if it was easy to figure out, if it made total sense, if it wasn't something that actually took faith to get your head around, then when you heard the gospel, it's not the complete gospel because the complete gospel takes faith to believe because it's so much better than what we're capable of putting our minds around. At some point in our lives, there has to be something we encounter in the person of Jesus and in the gospel message that says, that's so good, I can't believe it's true, but I do. Because there's faith. So we've been talking um, for a while now about God's covenant um, with mankind, and we, we've been tracing it back through Abraham and through Moses and then with his children of Israel. And, and, and leading up to this, this, um, this series on covenant, we kind of spoke a few pre-messages about it. And in one of them, I was talking about the fact that that, that David was a man who understood covenant. And as you read through the Old Testament and you read through the story of David, um, you'll see this thread that winds through. There's a constant thread of covenant. And, and we talked about how when he faced war, when he faced battle, when he faced Goliath, it was the covenant with God that made him confident that he could stand there and declare what God would do instead of talk about what God could do. There's a big difference in the two. Anybody can stand there and talk about what God could do. It's the man who understands and knows who God is and believes that we'll talk about what God will do. David walked into the camp and he didn't once talk about what God could do. He talked about what God had done and what God would do because he believed. Because he was in covenant with God. Because there were promises made to him by God that actually shaped and changed the way he lived his life. They weren't just nice things to think about when he was depressed. Please never water the gospel down to just some nice thing that you think about when you're having a bad day. It wasn't just when he was lonely, it was a cool promise to hold on to or a fancy idea. It shaped the way he looked at the world, it shaped the way he spoke, and it shaped the way he acted because he understood that he was in covenant with the God of the universe. And so when Goliath stands down in the valley and shakes his fist, he says, he's defying the living God. You guys understand, he's not just talking to us, he's coming against God. Surely God will deliver the head of this Philistine into my hands today. And that's awesome, and I love talking about David the warrior. It's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Um, but, I, but besides that, there's other examples of David and, and, and the covenant. And I want to kind of present the other side of that coin. And I had the message on, on the next step of covenant all ready to go. And then God started speaking to me about this. So it's going to be on covenant. It's in that thread. But, but I want to present the other side because sometimes maybe we get so, um, so obsessed. And I, I know people like to, to um, warfare really fires people up. Like if you want to get a group of people that are spirit-filled fired up, start talking about going after the enemy. And, and they're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. You know? And... Um, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We are, we're called to set captives free. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to set the captives free. That's one of the things that we're called to do, um, to break chains and break bondage of lies that the enemy has placed people in. And, and that's certainly part of the reason that we're here on earth because Jesus said, as the Father sends me into the earth, so I send you. So if Jesus came to do it, then He sent us to do the same thing that He came to do. Um, but, but, but I want to just talk about another side of that 
of how covenant changed David, who he was and how, how he acted. In Acts 12, 22, it says, After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. This is talking about Saul being removed. Concerning whom he testif- also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. David was a man after God's own heart. And we, we hear that statement, and a lot of times I think that, that we don't really... I, I haven't, I should say. I'm not going to put it on you. But, but I haven't really thought about the magnitude of God speaking and saying, this is a man after my own heart. And I don't think it was because of what David did that made him a, God, a, a, God, a man after God's own heart. In other words, it wasn't his perfect actions, right? Because David wasn't a perfect person. It wasn't his impressive stature because he was the smallest among all the brothers, so insignificant his father didn't even invite him to the ceremony where the, where the prophet was going to anoint a king. So it wasn't based on the things that we would think of and that we would look at and say, this is why we would say this person's a man after God's own heart. And, and I believe the reason he said David was a man after God's own heart is David is the only person that's said about. You know, we could say, well, he loved God, but, but John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it doesn't say that he was a man after God's own heart. And I think that loving God was part of that, but I think that the main thing, reason why it's pointed out that he's a man after God's own heart is that David was a man who understood covenant because God's heart has always been to make covenant with man. Always. Since the beginning, God has had a plan and he would use covenant to bring man into his plan of salvation and to advance his kingdom on the earth. And so I think that the reason that David is called a man after God's own heart is because he understood covenant with God to the point that he was able to display that to people. Think about it. Here's the young shepherd boy standing in front of a king saying, don't let any of your men's hearts fail in fear. Because God delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear. Surely he'll deliver this Philistine into my hands today. This is a little boy, a shepherd boy, insignificant kid. His brothers, when he came there, said, what are you doing here? In other words, there was nothing that anybody could think that David should be in the camp for. He was there to bring them supplies. He was anointed king of Israel, and he's running errands for his father and bringing food to his brothers. And he walks into the camp, and and he looks around, and he sees all the men running, and, and, and he just tells them, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because he understands that he has a covenant with God that's greater than what he sees with his own eyes, that's greater than his own ability to be able to defeat the enemy. He doesn't talk anything about what he's going to do. He talks everything about what God will do through him. Think about that. You want to get people fired up, start talking about what God will do. How can you know what God will do? Because he said what he would do. It really does, man. It gets people fired up when you start talking about what God will do. They'll call you arrogant. They'll call you this. They'll call you that. But the truth of the matter is, is if we believe something to the point that it's actually truer to us than what we see with our own eyes, there should be times where we're talking about what God will do. If He declared it, then the only way that we can show that we actually believe it is by confessing it as something He will do. Because everybody can talk about what God could do. Well, you know, God parted the seas. He could, he could, he could make the ocean, the, the mountains crumble down on top of Goliath. That doesn't move God. Talking about what he could do never moves God into action. It's the people who step out and say, maybe God will. Or even better, God will. And God comes through and proves David right and delivers the head of the Philistine into his hands. So, so with that in mind, turn to um, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9. We're going to start in the first verse. We're going to read down for a while. But just realize this, that, that, that God has always been and always will be looking for people through whom He can display Himself through. 
through whom He can show the world who He is and what He's like. God has always been looking for people that can display His nature and His character to other people. It's why we're called to represent represent Christ to the world. It's because He's looking for a people that would actually know Him and live in fellowship with Him and in love with Him and in covenant with Him that could display who He is to the world so that the world could taste and see that He's good and want what we have. And, and so in Second Samuel chapter 9, it says... David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king said, is there no, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephilosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Paul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your son and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have a record of of, of who you are, God, and, and who you want to be for us. Of your word declared, God, so that we can confidently declare what you will do because you've confidently declared to us what you will do. God, that as we read this, it's not just another story. It's not just information. It's revelation that changes our lives. That our lives would look more like Jesus today than they did yesterday and more tomorrow than they do today. That we're forever being changed from glory to glory into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask that you open our ears to hear and our minds to be able to understand, our hearts to receive what you have for us. That we would be good soil that would bring forth fruit for the glory of God so that all might taste and see that He is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's David, right? He's become king, and now he asks this question. He says, is there anybody left from the household of Jonathan? Now, this was, this was an ordinary question that would be asked when someone ascended into the throne at, at that time. What would happen is a lot of times back then, it wasn't always family lineage that would bring people to thrones in the, in the earthly kingdoms. And so sometimes they would be taken by force. Sometimes they would be taken by trickery. Sometimes they would be taken by deals that were made. And, and when, the, when the person got to the throne, one of the questions they would always want to know, is there any descendant of the person who was the king before me still alive in the land? If there is, what they would do is they would go after them, they would round them all up, and then they would, they would uh, execute every one of them and make sure that they were all dead so that there could never be another person that could claim rightful ownership of the throne that they sat on. 
See, you would have sometimes kingdoms would be divided, right? Someone would be called the rightful king while someone else would be sitting on the throne. And the people would pledge their allegiance to one of the two kings. And a lot of times it would cause civil war as the rightful king who was the heir to the throne, who could prove through lineage, through bloodline that he was supposed to sit on the throne, would come and try to take his place on the throne. So to avoid that, when the, when the king took over, and at, the, at that time when a new ting, king took over, he would have the support of the, of the most people that he would ever have at that time and and he would have command of the armies and if it was taken by force there would be fear in the land and when he said something it would be done and so he would waste no time and when he took over at the throne he would say round up all the descendants of the prior king and bring them together and 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 put them to death and so when david starts asking this question is there anybody left who is a descendant i would imagine the men of war that would surrounded david were probably waiting for this day to come they're waiting to hear this question asked they're waiting to be given the command Hands probably went on swords and they thought, here it comes. We will go now and round up all the living survivors and make sure that nobody else has a claim to this throne and that David can establish his line forever. That would have been the natural thing to do. That would have been the normal thing to do. And what makes it so extraordinary is that David, rather than doing what was expected, rather than doing what was normal, rather than punishing, rather than putting to death, rather than judging the descendants says, is there anybody left from the household of Jonathan that I may show kindness to? He's a man after God's own heart and rather than looking for somebody to punish, looking for somebody to serve justice on for the things that were done wrong to him by the family of the man who sat on the throne before him. Remember, Saul was horrible to David. He pursued him all over the place, chased him from cave to cave. He was about as schizophrenic as you could be. One minute he would be being soothed by the harp of David and calling for him to come and make him feel better. The next minute throwing spears at him and pinning his cloak to the wall. Nobody would have blamed David if he would have said, round up all of Saul's descendants and put them to death by the sword. This was a man who had given David's own wife to another man. Saul took David's wife, the only woman that he truly loved, And gave her in marriage to another man because of how badly he hated David and because of how badly he wanted to hurt David. Nobody would have blamed David if he would have said, round up all the descendants of Saul, bring them to me and put them to death by the sword. See, David's a man after God's own heart. David has an understanding of who God is that goes so far ahead of the covenant that we walk in. It's unbelievable that he lived under the new covenant. Listen, David had stuff figured out that we're still learning. While we're busy chasing His presence, David was saying, the presence of God chases me. Where could I go that I would escape Your presence? If I made my bed in the depths of Sheol, there You would find me. If I ascended to the highest height, there Your Spirit would be. David understood that it wasn't so much that he wanted God, but it was that God wanted him so much more. This is Old Covenant stuff. David understood that while many people are busy chasing after blessing and mercy and chasing after goodness, David said, surely goodness and mercy will chase after me all the days of my life. While so many people are busy trying to make their way into God's house, David said, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't chase goodness and mercy. It follows me. I follow Him. That was what David said. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
And so many times when we read things about David, we see things that, that he had a revelation and an understanding of God's heart towards mankind that went so far ahead of his time, so far ahead of the understanding of, of the most scholarly people. And I think this is part of the reason why we see that he was a man after God's own heart, because here he is standing there in a place where, where he should, by everyone's opinion and by everyone's tradition and by what people are expecting, put to death all the descendants of Saul. E- even if the king was nice to the man before him, this would happen. Never mind if the king was giving his wife to another man to be with. Never mind if the king had tried to kill him repeatedly. Never mind if the king had sent him to where he had to go and lodge with enemy people and made him run around like a madman. No one would have blamed him. But David says, is there anybody of the line of Jonathan that I may show kindness to? And the man steps forward and says, there is one. He's still alive. He's the son of Jonathan. And he's lame in both feet. In 2 Samuel 4.4 we read that Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled, and his name was Mephibosheth. So there's someone who is alive. There's someone who is part of this this covenant that you have, but but he's not perfect. He's crippled. He's lame. He has problems. He has issues. And he is alive, but right now he's dwelling in a land called Lodabar. He was dropped early in his life. His life was marked by that and scarred by that. Something happened to him and ever since then he's known as, they can't even say his name without mentioning the fact that he's lame. He becomes so identified by his problem that when people are telling David about him, they have to point out that he's lame. They they label him by what's wrong with him and David doesn't care about that because he's in covenant with Jonathan and because of that he wants to show kindness to anybody who's in Jonathan. And so he says, bring him to me. And they say, well, he's dwelling in a land called Lodabar. And it was, it was pretty amazing. I was looking up the, the meaning of Lodabar, and it means no pastures. It means no pastures. The literal meaning is no pasture. So he's living in a place that has no pasture. And the man who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures, understands. There is a man who is a descendant of someone who I've made covenant with. And he's living in a land where there's no shepherds and there's no pastures. Bring him to me. That he can be where I am. He's wounded. He's hurt. He's scarred. He's probably scared for his life because everybody has told him about what he should expect. How many people out there are wounded, scarred, and scared, and when God's calling for them, they don't want to come because so many people have painted a picture of God as being waiting for them with a sword? What if Mephibosheth would have known that David's intention was to show him kindness? What if someone would have told them who David really was, what the king was really like? And rather than describing him as this man of war who's brutal and puts people to death by the sword, which certainly David was at one time, What if they would have described to him the heart of a king who is sitting on his throne searching for someone that he could show kindness and goodness to? Maybe he wouldn't have even had to call for Mephibosheth and send someone to get him. Maybe Mephibosheth would have came to find him. I wonder if we've represented God as something that makes people nervous 
makes people afraid, makes people want to run away when they hear that he's looking for them, or if we've represented God to people as someone who loves them and is looking for somebody to show his goodness and his kindness to. What if we do that, if we wouldn't have to send people to go get people as much as we could have people come to us looking for him? Because they've heard about this king. So David says, he lives in a land where there's no shepherds and there's no pastures. That's not a place for him to live. Bring him to me. He takes him from where he is and he brings him to where David is. Come tell him to come live with me in my palace, in my place. I have something better for him. He doesn't know where he's at right now. Isn't a good place for him. Bring him here and I'll show him what a good place is. Sometimes there's people who have been hurt since they were little and they're living in a place where there's no shepherds. And they need somebody to come and get them that will love them. Not identify them by what's wrong with them. Notice David never mentions anything about him being lame. Because David doesn't care about what the world's identified him by and what the world said is wrong with him. David sees what's right with him because of the covenant he's made with Jonathan. So he says, go get him and bring him here. So Mephibosheth had to be thinking, I'm sure, I'm a flawed human who because of the family that I was born into, because of the patriarch of my family's mistakes, because of the sin, because of the wrongdoing by the patriarch of the line that I'm born through, I am at enmity with the king and probably didn't want to go see the king and probably was holding back from going and seeing him and probably wasn't really excited because when he stands before David, David says, don't fear. The reason why is because Mephibosheth would have been filled with fear because he understands, I come from a line who has placed themselves as an enemy of this king because of the sins of, of the patriarch of this family, Saul. And so he expects death. He expects revenge. He expects justice. But David's a man after God's own heart. And where he's expecting revenge and justice, he gives mercy and kindness and forgiveness and grace. Hmm. You were born into Adam. The offspring of Adam from a lineage of people that were in enmity with God. It's true, each and every one of us, we were born once into Adam. But see, what Mephibosheth didn't know and what the world needs to know is that something was done. There was between the wrong that was done, there was another right that was done by his son, by Jonathan. And because of that right, everything changed because God made a covenant with Jesus and he said, they will be your inheritance. He made a covenant with Abraham and said to all the people of the earth will be your inheritance. And see, people don't understand that something has changed, that he's not the angry king that's sitting on the throne calling people to come to him so that he can punish them, so that he can put them to death, so that he can make them pay for the sins of their fathers. He's actually coming to them looking for them because he wants to place his kindness and his goodness upon them because of the covenant he's made with the Son. And people need to know that. You need to know that. Mephibosheth does, still doesn't know how much David loves him. He doesn't understand how much this covenant that Jonathan has with David means. And so when he stands before him, he says, what would you ever want with me? A dead dog. He doesn't understand who he is. You notice David doesn't even respond to that. 
Why? Because he knows who Mephibosheth is and because he's not doing this for Mephibosheth's sake, he's doing this because he's in Jonathan and because he pledged his love and his loyalty to Jonathan. And so in blessing Mephibosheth, he's keeping his covenant and he's blessing Jonathan. God doesn't care about the scars on your, on your legs from when you were dropped when you were little. God doesn't care about your opinion of yourself because He sees who you truly are and He's doing it because of the covenant that He's made and because you're in Christ. Now you're a joint heir. Remember when the prodigal son tried to come back to the father and talk his way back into the father's life? Remember the lines? He had them all rehearsed. The Bible tells us what he planned to say. I'm no good, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants and let me work in your fields. He comes up and he gets like three words or four words out and the father silences him by putting a robe around him, putting a ring on his finger because it had nothing to do with how good the son was. It had everything to do with who he was. And so David doesn't, doesn't entertain any ideas about Mephibosheth being a dead dog. He doesn't call him a cripple. He doesn't call him what the world has labeled him by. He just wants to show him goodness and kindness. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. David understood that every single person needs somebody to lead them. That every single person needs somebody to lead them into green pastures. That's why Jesus was called the shepherd. He called himself the shepherd. He said, I'm the shepherd, the sheep hear me and they know my voice. Then he said, as the Father sent me into this world, so I've sent you. There's people out there that are living in a land that has no pasture for them. In other words, what they need to live is not there. And God wants to send people there who are not going to label them by what they've done wrong, who are not going to pass them over because they're crippled, because they're hurt, because they've done these things. We can start looking at people as projects rather than people to love if we're not careful. We can become frustrated. I was talking to somebody I know about, somebody that that we've been praying for to be healed and we still haven't seen the full healing in 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 their life yet. And and I was explaining how it's, it's frustrating to me because I want to see it. Not because I want to say, look, we healed this person, but because I want to be able to see them be healed. And there's a frustration and a tension that comes with that. And I'm not saying it's wrong to, to press in and want more. But when I was talking to the person, he said, just be careful that you don't ever start to look at this person as a problem to be fixed and forget that she's someone to be loved. And that cut my heart, you know. Because I'm like, man, I, 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 I can do that if I'm not careful. I can start to see people and see their problems rather than see who they truly are and love them where they are. And that doesn't mean that I don't want to pray for people. That doesn't mean I don't want to see people change. But I want to do that because I love them. And if I ever forget the fact that I'm doing this out of love for them, then they become a project and it becomes a work. So David doesn't see Mephibosheth as a project. He just sees him as somebody to love and show his kindness to. Look at the end of Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does David say? He says, find me someone that I can show goodness and kindness to. Why? Because he understands that if God does this for me, then I probably should do this for people. That God doesn't just have His loving goodness and His kindness follow me all the days of my life just for me to absorb it and entertain it and think, wow, this is a great life. It's because He wants me to now go and use that same goodness and that same kindness that He showed me and find people to give that to. Just like God gave His loving kindness and His goodness to David and it followed Him all the days of His life, David looks around and instead of looking for somebody to harm, looking for somebody to judge, looking for somebody to sentence to death, he looks around and he says, is there anybody that I can show loving kindness to? Is there anybody that I can show goodness to? Why? Because he's a man after God's own heart. 
because that's God's heart for you and that's God's heart for me. When He's looking for you in this world, it's not to judge you, it's not to condemn you, it's not to make you feel bad. It's to show you His loving kindness and His goodness. Because He's pretty confident in who He is and how much His love can change people. He's never failed and He won't stop now like we preached. He's so confident of His goodness and His kindness being able to soften the hardest heart and change the worst person on the face of the earth that you would judge to be the worst that He's not interested in condemning them to death. All He wants to do is show them how much He loves them and He knows once you find out how loved you are, everything in your life will start to change and all those things that you think keep you from being a good person, just they're not who you are. And they start falling apart and they start falling away. You find yourself in conflict with somebody. Try loving them and showing them goodness and kindness and watch how much faster that starts to change things rather than trying to prove them wrong and make them feel like they're less than you. It's amazing how you can diffuse a situation, how the Bible is actually true. That a kind word really does turn away anger. That a gentle word really does diffuse wrath. So David, a man after God's own heart, says, bring him to me. Bring him here. Because God showed me His goodness and His kindness, now I'm here to show people my goodness and my kindness. But not just my goodness and my kindness, because this was something that went beyond just the capability of a man to do this. If somebody was shown this kind of favor by a king, they would understand that this man, is there something different about him? How much easier do you think it was for David to explain the covenant he had with God? after he'd showed the kind of loving goodness and kindness that he'd showed to Mephibosheth. I bet Mephibosheth would have been happy to listen to anything David had to say from that point because he'd seen something that he'd never seen before. He'd seen a man who didn't look at him and label him as lame and crippled. David never once speaks about that. And he saw a man who, even though he deserved judgment and death for the sins of the family line that he was from, showed him kindness, grace, mercy, and goodness. It's why people will listen to you if your life actually reflects what you say you believe. Because they see somebody who's good, who's kind, who's loving, who's patient, who's long-suffering, who's gentle, who's meek. And those things aren't common in the world. They're the fruit of the Spirit. And when you display that for people and they see that difference in you, then they're more apt to want to listen to what you have to say. I was talking to someone recently who's just gotten really born again for the first time, and, uh, or I guess the only time in and, you know, they, they would have said they were Christian their whole life, but they just got recently actually born again. And now it's like, man, they have this, this thing and they don't want to lose it, you know, because there's this excitement and this joy that's in their life. They feel like they're free and like they're living for the first time. They don't have any secrets to hide. They can actually be the person that God created them to be and they're able to look people in the eyes when they're talking to them and they're not worried about what the next question might bring because they're living their lives from a place of truth. It's an amazing place to be. If you've lived the other way, you know what it's like. They said, well, I, there's, there's people I want to talk to about this, but I, you know, a month ago I might have been there with them doing what they're doing, and now I just want to talk to them. And I said, listen to me, if they're, they're watching your life, if you would just love them. I'm not saying that you agree with them with what they're doing wrong, and I'm not saying that you join them, but if you, if you just love them and speak the truth to them, they'll see your life and they'll want what you have, and pretty soon they'll be asking you how they can change. Think about it. People watch the disciples and they come to them and say, what must we do to have what you have? They want to buy what the disciples have. I'll pay you for it. 
Not because the disciples went around telling people what they were doing was wrong, but because the disciples went around telling them what God had done right for them. How much He loved them. How good He was. How kind He was. And so David, David says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's the last thing we read about Mephibosheth? And it says, He lived in Jerusalem all his life and he always ate at the king's table. See, this is the other side of covenant where one side, it prepares me for battle and I can go into war and I can understand that Jesus said, I've overcome the world. So when you face things, don't have any fear. David understood that God's already spoken to destiny over me. He's already anointed me as king and I haven't sat on that throne yet. And if somebody comes against me, they're coming against the prophecy and the word God spoke over my life. And guess who's going to lose? It's not going to be God. See, there, that's the one side. That's the war side. That's the side that makes us walk fearlessly into situations that we would be afraid of in the past because we understand that the God of heaven is with us and goes before us. And if He's called us to it, then He's given us everything we need to make it through. And He'll protect us because His, His, His promise has always been, if you trust Me and obey Me, I'll protect for you and provide you. That's always been His promise from the beginning of time through the end. Trust and obey, I'll protect and provide. Over and over again, that theme is repeated from Old to the New Testament. But the other side of this is the loving and the kindness side. And that's this. That's saying that I understand the covenant I have with God and that I understand that the things He's done for me, He wants me to do to other people. And He wants to represent Himself through me because we're in covenant. Because He took on my identity and I took on His. And so He actually wants when people look at me for people to see Him. When people looked at Jesus on the cross, they saw the Son of Man hanging there. They saw a beaten, broken, bloody mess of a man who was carrying the sin of the world on his shoulders. He did that so that when people look at you, they can see the righteousness of God in Christ, which you have become. So that when people see you, they see the Father. So that when you look around and you look for people, you don't look for people that you can get mad at. You don't look for people that you can condemn, that you can be angry with. That you look around like David and say, who is there that I can show the kindness of God to today? Who in my life can I today show the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God to? Not who can I beat up? Who can I cut down? Who can I make feel like dirt? Who can I make feel like they're less than me? Who can I make fearful? Who can I make nervous? Who can I make look stupid? None of that stuff is ever called for the Christian to do. It's to look around with the eyes of Christ and to be heaven-minded and look around and say, who is there that I can today show the kindness and loving goodness of God to? Because He showed kindness and loving goodness to me. David says he's living in a place where there's no shepherds. There's no green pastures. Take him out of there and bring him to me so I can show him where he's supposed to be living. Go find people. Maybe they were dropped. Maybe they were hurt. Maybe they were scarred. Maybe they've done things wrong and they've been labeled by the world by the mistakes that they've made, by the sins that they've committed. Maybe people have written them off because of the things that they've done wrong. They're living in a place where there are no shepherds. If there's no pasture, there's no sheep. If there's no sheep, then there's no shepherds. They're living places where there's no shepherds. Go find those people and take them out of those places and bring them to the place of the shepherd and say, the Lord wants to be your shepherd. If you follow Him, if you walk with Him, if you just do what He asks you to do and give Him your life, then He'll lead you beside green pastures. He'll restore your soul for His name sake he'll place you on the path of righteousness he'll lead you beside the cool waters 
goodness and mercy instead of it being something that you have to run around chasing for the rest of your life and it's always there like the dollar bill at the end of the fishing string. Suddenly now it pursues you and the goodness of God overcomes you wherever you are. Rather than it being something you have to chase, it's something that chases you. All you have to do is follow the shepherd and it overtakes you. Go find those people. See, David did this all because of what? Because of a covenant he made with Jonathan. And so anybody who was of Jonathan or in Jonathan was in covenant with David. There's people out there that need to know that there's a covenant available to them and that everybody who's in covenant with Christ receives the blessing and kindness and favor of God because in blessing you, He's blessing Christ. In blessing Mephibosheth, He was blessing Jonathan. When God blesses you, it's not for your sake. It's because you're in Christ and a joint heir with Him. And because when He shows kindness to you, it's Him showing kindness to His Son whom He loves. Because you're now one and the same. Because there's been an exchange. Because there's been a covenant made. And to the extent that we enjoy and know the love and the kindness of God in our own lives, we will be able to show that love and kindness to other people in their lives. That's why every day should start out expecting to see the goodness of God. You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. It's not, it doesn't say this was the day the Lord had made. It wasn't a hindsight thing. It wasn't he got to the end of his day and everything went perfect and nothing went wrong. So he said, well, this was a day the Lord had made and I rejoiced and was glad in it. That's not what he says. It's him standing before the day starts saying, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's not a decision to be made at the end of the day when we determine if circumstances say it was a good day or not. It's a decision we make before we go and live the day because we believe in his goodness and we expect to see it wherever we go. So we wake up in the morning and we go out the door saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Maybe things will go wrong in the course of your day. You know what? You live in a fallen world surrounded by people who don't know who they are and are living for themselves. And there is every opportunity that somebody may just take a number two on your day. Yep, the halo's disappearing. But there is every chance that somebody will sin against you. There is every chance that somebody will react to something that's going on in their lives and take it out on you. There is every chance that that guy in front of you really is a jerk who will slam on his brakes and you'll have to go into the median. There really is a chance that all that stuff will happen. Guess what? That has nothing to do with whether or not the day is good. In fact, rather than being a reason why it wasn't a good day, they're just another reason to praise God because even when things are going on around me, rather than living in reaction to what's going on, I live in reaction to His promise that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Surely I would have dismayed had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. See, because David understood covenant, he could write things like this. Because he understood, I have a relationship with the God of the universe that's never-ending and it's not based on circumstance and it's not based on my right performance or my wrong performance. It's based on me, Him loving me and me being in covenant with Him. And because he understood this, he could write things like that. If we understood the covenant that we have with God, it would change the way we look at things because you would understand that things that come against me aren't just coming against me, they're coming against Him. David stood there. David had a lesser covenant than we have. Hebrews says we have a better covenant based on better promises and David under the old covenant understood this man that's threatening me isn't threatening me, he's threatening God because I'm in covenant with God and God has said your enemies will be my enemies and my enemies will be your enemies. 
What if we woke up in the morning and realized that we're in covenant with the God of the universe and that anything that comes against us is coming against Him and He's already promised that no weapon formed against me would ever prosper. But it looks like it's prospering. Thank God you don't have to live by what things look like. But they look like they're getting away with it. Thank God that you're not the one that has to worry about that because God said that He will repay. You just love. But you don't understand. They said this and they did this. Thank God that Jesus said that in this world you will face trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. It doesn't feel like a good day. Well, then tell your feelings to line up with the truth. We'll say that every single week. If your feelings say something that doesn't line up with God's Word, guess which one is wrong? Guess which one needs to be corrected? Guess which one needs to be reminded of truth? I promise you that God's Word is not waiting for you to come along and have your feelings line up so that it can feel vindicated and go, whew, good thing they're happy today or I'd feel pretty silly. That's not what's going on. It's not God's Word waiting for your feelings to line up. It's you waiting to tell your feelings to line up with His Word because what He's spoken is true. It's unshakable. And here's David now sitting on the throne. I'm just going to close up with this. Here's David sitting on the throne. And the expectation of this world is that he's going to find the people who have wronged him or the descendants of those who have wronged him and he's going to get justice, he's going to get revenge, and he's going to make sure that they don't have any claim to the throne. And instead, he reacts from a place of understanding who God is and how much God loves people. And he says, find me someone that I can love, that I can show goodness, that I can show kindness to. I wonder if God wakes up in the morning and looks down and says, hey, find me someone. Find me someone who's a descendant of Christ, who's a joint heir with Christ that I can show my goodness and my kindness to. I wonder if God would like it if we woke up in the morning and said, find me someone, God, that I can show kindness and goodness to, that I can display who you are to, that I can show love to. Find me someone. Bring them to me. Let them be mad. Let them be angry. Let them be hurt, dropped, whatever the case is. The worse, the better. Because I want the ones that nobody else wants. I want the ones that nobody else wants to talk to. I want the ones that everybody else reacts the same way that they act to and feeds that spirit inside of them rather than diffusing it. Bring me the ones, God. Bring them to me. That way when they show up, rather than being angry or being upset or being why me, you can look at them and say, thank you, God, and you can launch into loving them and showing them goodness and kindness and mercy. And then they become actually a purpose for your day, not a reason that ruins it. It's all perspective, right? It's all how we look at things. If we look at people that have a bad attitude and are angry and say, because they have a bad attitude and angry, now I have a bad attitude and am angry, then people are a problem and they ruin our day. If we look at people that have a bad attitude and are angry and say they just really need to be loved, then they become purpose for our day. Either way, they're going to be in your life. You have a choice. You could look at them the way the rest of the world would look and say, because they've done this, because they've done that, because they have issues, because they have problems, I just label them by their issue and their problem like Ziba did. There's one. He's the son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth. He's lame. 
David didn't say, find me someone that I can love and let me know if they have any problems. He just said, find me someone that I can love. The problem wasn't a problem to David. It didn't stop him from doing what God wanted him to do, and that was show kindness to him. Those problems and those issues that everybody else runs away from and labels them by shouldn't be problems. They shouldn't be a distraction. If anything, they should even be more reason that we go and reach down and love them and show them who God is, how kind He is, how good He is. I'm just going to close up with that. I have a bunch more stuff, but we'll get into that next week. You have a covenant with the God of the universe. That's a big deal. That's not a little matter. That's not a light thing. It, it is a position that angels wish that they had, and you've been placed in it. Hebrews says, to which of the angels has he ever said, come and be seated at my right hand? You live and have been placed in a place that the angels would love to be in, and they haven't done anything wrong ever, most of them. They have spent their lives circling the throne, doing nothing but worship. But guess what? It has nothing to do with actions that reward you and get you seated next to him in Christ's place. If it was, the angels deserve to be there long before you and I because they've circled His throne for generations past to generations to come singing holy, holy, holy. While you were running around doing the things that you were doing, they were circling His throne unable to even look, covering their eyes with their feathers and saying holy, holy, holy. But yet to which of them did He ever say come and be seated at My right hand? But then Ephesians tells us that we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. You've been placed into a relationship that is the envy of every created thing. It's a big deal. And it's always been God's desire that people would know Him so they can display Him to the world so that others can know Him so that they can display Him to the world, so that others can know Him. It was never just so we could sit back and be fat and happy in our Christianity. It was always so that we could be joyful and then joyfully find others to share it with. Find me someone that I can show kindness to today. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's truth. God, I thank You that it is so much bigger than my circumstance, God, than, than what I've experienced, than, than what logic or reason tells me, God, than what I've been taught that, that goes against Your Word, God, that Your Word is bigger, that You're bigger, that You're greater. God, I thank You for the covenant that I have with You, that we have with You, God. As we're in covenant with You, God, we're in covenant with each other. I pray that we would see that, God. God, that our eyes would be open, that we would spend our days, God, loving You and allowing Your love to flow through us, looking for people whom we can show Your love and Your kindness to. God, that the nature and character of God would manifest in us, that we would produce fruit, that the world would taste and see that You're good. That no one would think of You as the King on the throne with a sword ready to put to death those who come from the descendant of the One who sinned but that they would see you as the, the king that sits on the throne looking for somebody that you can bless because of the covenant that you've made with the Son. I thank you for that, God. I ask that that would draw people. That people would want what we have as we joyfully live out our days. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm telling you, I feel the weight of this series of messages more than any messages I've ever preached. 
It keeps me up at night. I can't wait. Like Saturday, I'm counting down the hours. Yesterday, I was like, I just can't wait. And, and I just, I want to say this, like all of this teaching and this, the learning that we're doing is none of it's just so that we have knowledge that we become proud of. It's so that it actually changes our lives so that our lives look different. So that we, our days are actually different because of what we know. Our actions are different because of what we know. That we find ourselves doing things and living things and saying things that aren't natural to us but are sparked by our reaction and our knowledge of what God has done for us and who He is for us. That it really would be like we're living for the first time in a lot of cases because we are born again. Because the way you reacted as an old man is different than the way you react as the new man. That your life actually is hidden with Christ. That you really are changed and different. And that rather than the spirit of this world that's enmity with God living inside of you, you have the spirit of the living God Himself living and dwelling inside of you, longing to make Himself known to the world around you. So this week, I just want to challenge us all. Rather than at the end of the day, looking back and deciding whether it was a good day based on what happened, start the day saying, this is a good day. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it, no matter what it means. Sometimes you find yourselves in it. You can still rejoice and be glad. You have a license to do that because the Bible gives you permission. I love you guys. Um, Youth group is next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. We're excited about that. Um, we will have the, the ministry opportunity that we have coming up to where we can partner with the Christian Learning Center, which brings, actually for, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, for one period of the, of, of the day, every single day of the year, high school kids can actually leave the campus and go across the street to a building and be taught about God and learn about who He is and how much He loves them. And they need people to volunteer um, in a lot of different areas. So I'm, I'm supposed to be getting with the lady this week. They're getting the program started again. Um, this week it starts back up and I'm going to find out specific areas of need, when they need people, what they need people for, how often, and then we're going to, as a church, get together and try to do everything we can to support what they're doing because kids' lives are being changed by it. And so um, I'm excited about that. We'll have more details about that hopefully next week. If I can get with her this week, she's been really busy because the school year is starting back up and trying to figure out schedules and stuff. But, um, but just be praying about that and asking God if that's something that he wants you to be involved with. And then I, I promise you, if he says yes, when there will be an opportunity for you to, to act on it. We love you guys. Find someone you don't know. Say hey to them. Welcome them here. We really think you're amazing people. Go love Greenville. Love God. Love each other. And we'll see you back here Sunday.